Well, hey, Hub City, it's great to be with you today, and I am loving this new series, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, and looking at the letter of Galatians, just seeing the simplicity of the gospel. We make some false equations along the way, and that's what we're exploring, but also seeing that Jesus leads us to everything, both eternity, but also freedom, life change, unity, man, it's all good stuff, and we're exploring that. I'm loving it. I'm loving the Beyond the Sermon uh, videos that we've been making. I hope that's been enjoyable and helpful for you. Please write in your questions as we're talking today. So if you're watching at 10 a.m., hey, it's good to be with you. Uh, submit those questions. If you're not, man, jump on our website after the fact and post a question in there. We want to engage with you and see how this is resonating with you right there at home. All right? Now, speaking of home, I want you to do something for me. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? All right, let's take a moment real quick. Let's just close our eyes. And I want you to visualize driving through a brand new housing development, right? Visualize the sidewalks and the roads and the trees and the, uh, the mailboxes and the houses. What do you see? What do you notice? As you visualize driving through this brand new home development, what do you see, right? You're going to see houses that all tend to kind of look the same and they're all painted in the same color schemes. You're going to see mailboxes that look the same and lawns that are manicured perfectly to the same degrees. And, you know, you look at that and, and what do you see is uniformity. You see all of this, these houses that look almost identical. And it's because they all have homeowners associations that are imposing these rules on them and these restrictions. You can't paint your house bright pink. Sorry, dude, you can't have a fence that looks this way. You can't have six cars stacked up on blocks. Like, you just can't do some of these things. And, and they impose these rules for what reason? Why do you think that is? Those of you that are a part of homeowners associations, I'm not picking on you, but why is it that we have these types of rules? It's to bring what? Uniformity, a sense of control, but that's going to lead to what? A sense of security and safety, maybe a sense of success. You go into these places, it feels, well, they're all kind of looking the same. Maybe it's a safer neighborhood. Uh, it, it, it's a little more secure. It's a little more successful because it's new. But this uniformity, it doesn't really mean that. It just gives us this false pretense or this false sense of that. And I think for ages, the church has been doing the same thing. They've been imposing and, and putting down rules and restrictions on people to say, conform to these rules and you will experience safety and cohesiveness and security and, and, and a sense of uh, success in these ways. The church just hasn't done it with paint colors, though, and, and, and lawn maintenance. They've done it by saying, this is how you should dress. This is how you should look. This is how you should cut your hair. This is how you should talk. This is how you raise your, raise your kids. This is how we pray. This is how we read our Bibles right? We impose these expectations on people, these rules on people. This is how you should talk. This is how you should vote. This is how you're going to do this. This is how we, whatever. And what that brings is a uniformity within the church, but also really a conformity. Because it's not just about how we color our hair or what kind of clothes we wear or whether or not we get a tattoo. You begin to see it happen with spiritual practices, you have to get baptized. You have to do it this way. You have to dedicate your child. You have to speak in tongues. You have to tithe. You have to go on a mission trip. You have to do, do, do all this stuff. And we begin to create this equation within the church that Jesus plus conformity equals success. It equals safety. It equals security. Just like in the housing developments. But the reality is, is it doesn't bring that. Jesus plus conformity brings division. 
Because Jesus plus conformity is rooted in control and manipulation. It's all about holy huddles and division and hurt and pain and it breeds self-righteousness and pride. It breeds division. It doesn't bring unity. And Paul is recognizing this. Ages and ages ago, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing the Galatian church, he's noticing that conformity is going to lead to division. And he sees a divided church. A church that on one side has people believing in a Jesus that's for all people, of all backgrounds, of all races, of all socioeconomic statuses, of all genders. And then he looks at this other one and says, yeah, it's for all people as long as they conform to what we believe, right? We want all believers to fall in line and check these Jewish custom boxes. They're going to obey these rituals and these ceremonies, and they're going to get circumcised. Like, yikes, I don't necessarily see that on a church brochure. Hey, welcome to our church. Come get circumcised. But that was the requirement that they instigated and imposed and they conformed people to. Because for them, it was Jesus plus conformity equals security. It equals safety. It equals God's acceptance. If you conform to this, then we will be united as God's people. But Paul's looking at it and saying, I see a divided church. In Galatians 2.4, he even acknowledges the division. He says, some false brothers have infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. And Paul is recognizing this division, so he takes some guys, Barnabas, Titus, and such, and he takes them up to Jerusalem, and he goes, and he, he visits with some of the pillars of the early church, Peter, Paul, John, these guys, and, and they begin to talk about it. Man, how can we unite how are we not just laboring in vain and just doing this for the heck of it? How do we actually make a difference in the world? Because the divided gospel, the divided church is not going to make an impact in our world. That's not what Jesus came to do. And so they meet together. They have this huddle, this meeting of the minds, and you begin to see the division that's taking place. Because if the Gentiles are on one side, well, they're going to look at the Jewish Christians and say, well, they're not really welcome because they believe in works. And then you've got the Jewish Christians that are all looking at it saying, yeah, but their, their faith isn't really valid because they haven't taken the step of faith. They don't really believe enough to obey. So you have this tension. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9 shows us this meeting. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. I think what's happened in this meeting or this gathering is they begin to see that, yeah, we're serving different audiences. We've got the Jewish people over here and the Gentile people over here, and we're all reaching different people. We're doing it different ways. We've packaged it a little bit different, but the message is still the same. The message is compatible. It's kind of like in my home, I, I use a lot of smart devices. We've got Alexa echo dot things all around the house and we use smart plugs, smart bulbs, smart everything. And, and it's so that I can sit on my chair and say like, Alexa, turn on the fan. Alexa, turn on the lights. Turn off the lights. Do all these things because I don't want to get up, right? I want smart devices. But I, they're not all the same brand because if I was just buying Amazon, they'd be really expensive. So I found like third-party companies. But when you're shopping for those things, well, it's got different packaging and it looks a little bit different. It doesn't have their branding on it. The price is different. But the one thing you're looking for when you're scouring for good deals has to say, works with Alexa. Because if it doesn't do that, then you know it only works for Google Home or Apple Home or whatever home. But I need it to work with Alexa because that's what I've got. And so when I'm purchasing things, 
I need to make sure that they're compatible, that when I plug it in and get it to work and I say, Alexa, turn us on, it's going to work. Well, when Paul and Barnabas and Titus meet with Peter, John, and James, they come to realize we're compatible. We work together. We work not with Alexa, but with Jesus together. Because Jesus plus nothing equals unity. You see, it's not about conforming. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is that he brings people together even in their differences. He unites them together. Jesus plus nothing equals unity. And I know we all want kumbaya. We want, you know, a harmonious church. We're all just holding hands and singing songs and all together. But the reality is we're broken people. The church is filled with broken people and it has been for generations and centuries. And our tendency is to add to that equation. And even the apostle Peter the guy that lived with Jesus and ministered with Jesus and did amazing things for the kingdom of God. Paul looks at his life and looks at a moment in his life and he sees a disconnect, a discrepancy because he looks at Peter and he sees a hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is dangerous. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, he begins to talk about this interaction he has with Peter and calling him out on his hypocrisy. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. When they arrived, he began to draw back, separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of all of them, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and are not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In this longer passage here, what we see is Paul's looking at Peter's life and saying something's off. I see a hypocrisy you're torn. You're a man that's torn. You're torn by the gospel that believes, yeah, Jesus saves all. And he can save these Gentile people just by faith alone. But then you're torn because you have this fear of man. What will the Jewish Christians think? What will they do? And it leads to this hypocrisy, this difference in how he's going to treat people. And that's what Paul is going to expose here. Because hypocrisy is dangerous. It is corrosive to the gospel message. It is confusing to people. He even mentions in that passage Right In verse, uh, verse 13, that Barnabas was thrown off. He's confused. Maybe I need to get circumcised in order to be welcomed into the family of God. Hypocrisy confuses. It contorts. It, it distorts the message of Jesus. And, and so Paul calls him out on it. But not just that. He sees in the hypocrisy that, hey, Peter, you've been treating people differently. And I don't think it's just out of fear of man. Some scholars and commentators look at this and they say, look at the life of Peter. This is a man who grew up in a Jewish culture, in a culture that since he was a young little boy that could comprehend what was being taught to him, he was taught Gentiles are unclean. They are animals. They are separate from us. They are not equals. We are God's people. They are not. They are inferior to us. And so Paul's writing about this conversation that he has with Peter, and he's calling him out. Hey, man, you're treating the Gentiles one way, and then you're treating them different. And this discrepancy, he's not flat out calling him racist, but what he's calling out is this racial bias, this racial undertone that's taken place. He doesn't have to come out and say it. He understands, and I think Peter would have recognized it too. Man, oh man, 
You will only conform, you will only unite with these Gentile people if they conform to you, Peter. If other people will conform and 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 agree and, and unite around these customs and rituals and circumstances, and that that's not unity. This topic of racial bias and racial injustice and racial differences and racism is a pertinent conversation topic even then as it is now because racism divides the church. Racism adds to the gospel because racism is basically saying it's Jesus plus be like me, be right, be superior. And the way to do that is to conform. You've got to look like me, sound like me, be like me. And if you do that, God will approve of you. God will love you. God will accept you. Anything else, you're inferior. I think that that would bother Paul. Because a racism like that, a, a racial, racial bias like that corrupts the, the simplicity of the gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus one chosen race. It's not Jesus plus some cultural worldview that you've absorbed since you were a child. It's Jesus plus nothing equals unity, equals God's approval, equals God's acceptance, equals God's love. He's pointing this out. He sees this discrepancy, and, and he, he uses this phrase. He says, I could see that they weren't acting in alignment with the truth. There was something off, right, in this alignment with the truth, that the gospel is supposed to align our lives. It's supposed to shape our lives, mold our lives. It's kind of like braces. When you get braces as a kid, how many of you had braces? Right, show of hands. Uh, put a comment in there. How long did you have to wear braces? Mine was 36 months. 36 months I had to wear braces. And guess what? My teeth did not conform the metal. It didn't shape the metal. The metal shaped my teeth and moved my teeth. And that's what the gospel's supposed to do. The gospel's supposed to move us. We aren't supposed to move the gospel. And what Peter's doing is he's moving the gospel. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. We've got to be in alignment with the truth of the gospel. You saw that in verse 14. And we do the same thing. We are very similar to Peter in that way, in that we allow these cultural worldviews and these, these um, social norms and these social perspectives to come in, and they seep into our thinking, they seep into our hearts, they lie dormant underneath the surface, and what they end up doing is affecting how we act, how we speak, how we think, and they affect our gospel. In fact, they contaminate our gospel. For Peter, he's preaching a contaminated gospel when he's living in this kind of hypocrisy. Think for ourselves. If I've got a worldview of nationalism and patriotism that says, God bless the USA, America number one, we're the best, right? USA all the way. What that happens to do is, well, it's not just that I like 4th of July, it's that my country is better than every other country. And the problem with that is then I'm beginning to then allow that to seep in and saturate into my gospel message, and the gospel I will begin to present is God only loves America. God only loves Americans. We are his chosen people. We are the ones that he has anointed. But that's not true. Jesus came to die for all people, of all nations, and all creeds, and all backgrounds. Not just Americans. But I can allow this patriotism that I've absorbed since being a little child to seep in and affect my gospel message. My politics could be the same thing. I could 
grow up thinking about democratic stances or Republican stances or whatever it is, Libertarian, Tea Party, Green Party, whatever it is, right? We can so latch onto these things and they seep in to our gospel message. And then we get to this point where we start presenting this gospel of, well, you can't believe in this gospel unless you conform to how I vote and how I politically view the world. You can't be a Republican and vote Republican and be a Christian without being a hypocrite. Oh, man, how could you ever do that? You can't be a Christian and vote Democrat? Are you kidding me? Right? And we see this begin to transpire and it affects our gospel. Well, guess what? Jesus died for Democrats. He died for Libertarians. He died for Green Party people. And he died for Republicans. He died for all of us. But we take these stereotypes, whether it's politics or nationalism or our views on race or wealth or education, whatever it is, and we allow these things to become so deeply rooted within us, and we need to address those things. We need to be honest with what's going on. Nobody likes to admit those flaws and that brokenness that lies dormant within us, but if we don't, it will just continue to contaminate our gospel message, much like Peter, and we need Paul right now to just point out and say, hey, Sean, let's deal with this. I'm not, I'm not trying to point it at you. I'm trying to point it myself right here and say, Sean, what are the issues that you need to address? How can we be a church that would ever strive for unity and preach a gospel that's for all people if we would have these things underlying and we would not be willing to be honest, not be willing to address them, not be willing to repent of them. So instead, we come open-handedly before the Lord and say, God, align my life to the gospel, align my worldviews to the gospel, align my social norms and my social perspectives to the gospel. May I never do that in reverse. And Paul's going to hammer home this idea of the good news, bringing the unity of Christ in Galatians chapter 3, he says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, been, have clothed yourself in Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek, slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Paul is saying... Right out of the gate, the gospel, Jesus plus nothing equals unity. Guess what? You're united. You are a part of God's family. You are sons, as he says in verse 26. You are all sons, daughters, children of God. You're welcomed into the family, accepted into the family. You're a part of the family. And that's what these Gentile readers and people that Paul was influencing wanted to hear the most. That's why they were so open to, well, I guess I'll circumcise myself. If that gets me to be approved and loved by God, I'll do whatever it takes. And Paul's saying, you're already a son of God. You're already a child of God. Why? Because of nothing. You didn't do anything. He says it's by faith alone. It's by believing in that message of Jesus, by accepting that message of Jesus, by submitting to that message of Jesus. Man, that is what it is. It's faith. It's nothing that we do. It's Jesus plus nothing equals being a child of God. Jesus plus nothing equals being a part of God's family. That's how you become a part of his family. And he says that we are all united as one. United by the gospel as one, regardless of our other distinctions. And notice the distinctions he makes. Jew and Gentile, rich or poor, male and female. Those are three huge distinctive variables or classifications that people of that time would have grouped people in and said, you need to conform, you need to change, you need to fit into these, and if you don't, you're not part of the club. He's addressing 
race, socioeconomic class, and gender. But what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter what your race is. Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. Jesus died for you. So you are united as one. We are united with other people across this globe, regardless, Jew or Gentile, right? Doesn't matter. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. Male, female, doesn't matter. Doctorate or dropout, doesn't matter, right? None of those things matter in God's eyes because he sent his son to die for you, to forgive you of your sin, and it doesn't matter where you come from or or. or your resume, or if you're American, or Canadian, or black, white, Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter. Because we're united as one. Because Christ unites his church together in a way that nothing else will. It reminds me of the scene out of the movie Miracle. One of my favorite sports movies. Love this movie Miracle. It's on Disney+, Plus. you can check it out. But it, it's, it's this movie about the miracle on ice in 1980, where the American... Hockey team defeats the Soviet Union on, uh, on a historic moment, the miracle on ice. And it shows the coach trying to unite this team together. And you got players from, from Boston, right? They skate the yard and Harvard and all that. And Boston, do your best Boston accent with those sitting around you. And then you got people from Minnesota, right? It's so good to be here with Minnesota. It's so good. We love to play the hockey. It's, it's great. Good to be here, right? And you got Minnesota, you got Boston, and they clash. They don't mesh well. It's like the Jews and the Gentiles. It's like the clean and the unclean, and they, they crash together, and they don't sit well, and they're bickering and fighting, and, and they're divided. And Coach Herb Brooks has to unite them together, and through practice and, and, and exercise and, and scrimmages and all of this stuff, but there's this moment where they're skating back and forth, doing lines endlessly for hours. And he's teaching them, and he's telling them, the name on the front of your jersey matters way more than the name on the back of your jersey. The name on the front of your jersey, which is USA, matters way more than whatever your last name is that represents. Sure, that tells us who you are, where your family's from, things like that. But the name on the front, that's uniting all of us. This is who we play for. We don't play for the name on the back. We play for the name on the front. And I feel like that's what Paul's saying to the, to the church. He's saying, we play for the name on the front. And guess what? In Galatians 3.27, he says, we are clothed with Christ. Think about that. We are, we are wearing the attire of Christ. We are enveloped. We are wrapped up. We are clothed with Jesus. Meaning Jesus is the name on the front of our, G, our jersey. Jesus is the name on the front of our jersey. We're on team Jesus. He's the one that unites us from all corners of the earth to say, this is my family. This is my church. This is my bride. And we are united with him. That's what the coach in Miracles is trying to do. That's what unites us, is the name on the front. And then it builds to this climactic scene where one of the players with, with his hands on his shoulders, he's just huffing above it, and he yells his name. He says, my Gruziani! I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, great. Who do you play for? And instead of saying Minnesota or Boston or wherever else he played college, he says, I play for the United States of America. Coach blows the whistle, says, good, we're done. Hit the showers. Because that was a moment where the team began to recognize who they played for. They didn't play for the name on the back of their jersey. They weren't playing for themselves. 
They were playing to represent something bigger than themselves. And guess what? That's what the church is. We don't gather together. We don't call ourselves the church because of what we get out of it and what we represent. We don't do it so that we conform each other to, to, to be carbon copies of each other. I don't want you to be Sean 2.0. I want us to be rallied together in our diversity, in our differences. Man, we are not ignoring our differences. We are not turning a blind eye to our differences. You come from places I'll never come from. You look like I'll never look. You sound like I'll never sound. Guess what? That's good. We will embrace our differences, but the thing that will unite us together is the team that we are on. We are on Team Jesus. Jesus is the one that unites his church together because it's Jesus plus nothing equals unity. That's what we're all about. That's the church I want us to be. Not divided on our differences, but united in our common core belief, and that is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now I pray right now because I'm believing right in this moment that there's some that just need to, to make a decision to respond to you. God, that we've, we've heard the gospel, we've thought about the gospel, we, we haven't intentionally responded to it yet. God, and I pray uh, for anyone right now just watching that just needs to make that intentional step to respond, to believe and to say yes to you, God. I just want to pray for them right now. Jesus, that you would be the king of our life. Jesus, we turn over our, our, our selfishness, we turn over our lives, we turn over our brokenness, our sin, we ask for your forgiveness. But God, we believe that you came because you loved us. You died on the cross because you loved us. You forgave us because you loved us. You rescue us because you loved us. You welcome us into your family because you loved us. And I pray for those making that decision right now for the first time or the first time in a long time, God, that you would encourage and affirm and support them in that. That is the best decision we will ever make. I also pray for our church right now. God, I pray for Hub City Church, that we would be people who, acknowledge our brokenness. We acknowledge our bias, our hypocrisy, our selfishness, the underlying issues and, and, and things that need to be exposed. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring those things to the surface. Like Paul spoke things out of Paul, Paul spoke things out of Peter, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would point those things out of our heart and we would step out in obedience, we would step out with repentant hearts, willing to change, willing to adapt, and willing to be more like you. God, align our lives to your truth and to your message and to your gospel. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Unite your church together. Unite your church. Not just Hub City Church. I pray that you would unite us with other churches, regardless of our denominations and our leaders and our differences, God, that we would unite around the essential, and that is you. In your name we pray. Amen. For more information, check out thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.